Welcome, Building Brands listeners. For our 18th episode, I'm joined by Mitch Lewandowski, Chief Commercial Officer at Branch Technology. Branch is a prefabrication and technology company that specializes in large-scale 3D printing that allows material to solidify in open space, creating a matrix of polymer in virtually any shape. In this episode, Mitch talks about how to make an impact in the market with a brand new technology by understanding your audiences, understanding their pain points, educating and inspiring them to see greater possibilities in their work, and he even works in a little bit of sales strategy advice. Enjoy the episode. If you're an owner or marketer in the building materials manufacturing, distribution, or contracting spaces looking to set up your brand for success now and in the future, this is the podcast for you. On this show, we talk about brand and market strategies used in the real world that grow companies and truly connect with consumer audiences. So sit back, listen in, and let's get to it. All right, welcome Mitch Lewandowski, Chief Commercial Officer at Branch Technology. I'm looking forward to to having you on talking a little bit about how tech can factor into a, a company's position in the market and talking to their audiences. So thanks for coming on. I always start with a, letting the guests talk a little bit about themselves and the company and their, how they got to where they're at. It's a nice way to get people to, to know who you are. So why don't we start there and tell us a little bit more about yourself and we'll get into the meat after that. Yeah, sure. Well, again, thanks, Tim, for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, mm-hmm. Again, Mitch Lewandowski at Branch. Well, I guess I start early on and just kind of what got me into just in general business and building materials. So I originally went to school for architecture and I was drawing this like really, really cool, crazy stuff. Now I'm a little older than some of your listeners. I graduated high school in 1984. And the joke would be like, how do you get the architect off your front porch? You pay him for the pizza because they're, they're you know, <laughs> high unemployment. I think it was 18% interest rates at the time. I was working for a design build firm. We were drawing like parking lots and little itty bitty, just nonsense stuff. But I was drawing crazy stuff on the side and people say, yeah, people never build that. Okay. whatever. But, uh, and then over 20 years ago, I actually got, uh, involved in the, uh, the window door business. I answered an ad in a, in a newspaper. I was living in Miami. They said they were looking for a high end window door salesperson for a company coming into the market. And I, you know, just said, yeah, that sounds like something I, I could relate to. So I started working with that company, uh, did really well. And then uh, from there, started a window business and grew that and scaled that. And we had a, a really great run and uh, sold that in uh, 2008 before the market crashed. So some people say that was good timing. I had no idea, you know, mm-hmm. just whatever. And uh, started another one, grew it and sold it. And then spent quite a bit of time on the technology side of the industry as a VP of sales for a software company for this facade space. So spent a lot of time on the product side, all revenue focused, and then on the, uh, on the technology side uh, for that space. So it just gave me a, just a good broad understanding for the industry before I joined branch as the chief commercial officer. Yeah. What is the chief commercial officer? What do you, what's your role within the, in the branch universe? Yeah, sure. So my responsibility includes sales, marketing, project management, and just overall customer success. So the, the, life cycle, the life cycle sales process, all the branding and marketing that comes along with uh, building the company, and then anything that happens if we have a job and it's going on, making sure that's successful for the customer, that they have a great experience because I mean, our, what people see and what we do is everything. So if we have a, a customer that likes what they uh, 
experience, they're going to use a lot more of our products and services and tell everybody else about it. Yeah. And in this industry, there is a lot of repeat business with the type of work that's being done. Definitely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about Branch. I mean, it's Branch technology, but you guys are doing 3D printing. You're getting involved in projects in a different way than most manufacturers. And you're working with kind of like, I mean, it's bleeding edge type of stuff. You're trying to push boundaries <laughs> a little bit, right? Even though 3D printing is a pretty popular thing now, but you're you're tackling it in a, a little bit more of a large scale sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're doing it a little bit different. I, I guess I should back up and say Branch creates this opportunity to rad- radically change the way that we make things. Uh, the company mm-hmm. was founded by our, by, by our founder and CEO, Platt Boyd, and we came up with the idea of cellular 3D printing. What if you could print in open space? What if you could just you get these little pens right now that you can play around and do that thing? I think called doodle pens or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. But what if you could print in open space and actually build structures like the, 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 the cells of a human body are built, which are actually very, very strong. If you could do that, you could do something amazing. But the technology didn't exist. The hardware didn't exist. There was no software. And it was just something you would like see in a sci-fi movie, like how they print buildings in a future city or on Mars, you know, and things like that. So Platt came up with the idea, developed it, got it into reality and commercialized it. So that idea started about seven years ago. The company's been around about six years and we've actually been the first company in the world to commercialize large scale, large format uh, 3D printing. And it's called CFAB for cellular fabrication. What type of projects do you get involved with in the, in the industry, like large scale buildings, uh, municipal projects? What do, what do you use, who are you usually trying to work with? Yeah, well, uh, let me let me break it into uh, three general pro- general product categories. And then what I like to do is break it into three different customer types. So that I think yeah. it'll help you and your listeners uh, kind of get a better picture on that. And again, we're just talking about this. So I'm going to try, try to talk in word pictures as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So if you were to say three broad product categories, there's branch clad. Stratiform and C-form. Branch clad is anything that goes on the outside of a building. Uh, it could be a facade panel, a rain screen, something that's integrated into a giant mega wall panel where we're able to create this because we're 3D printing and we can do freeform parametric. We can create a radically different look on the outside of the building, a very iconic one-off type of architecture that would otherwise be exponentially more expensive, slow and hard to do. We can just 3D print that in our factory, ship it to the job site, and it goes right on the building. So that's branch clad. The second is Stratiform. Think uh, Disney Shanghai. Think Universal Studios. Think any big, giant kind of theme park when you see all this massive rock work. Well, we can do that kind of look by 3D printing and then infilling with a fire-rated foam and milling the surface, and it looks just like the rock surface. We can ship those and install those in very large pieces on a, uh, on, on, on a wall or an open environment. And it's very effective from a time and from a cost standpoint. And then lastly is a product category that we call C-Form, which is our, just our open cellular printing or, or matrix, where we're able to do large structures used for giant exhibit outwork, artwork, outdoor uh, pavilion types of spaces, but again, on a, on a big scale. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the projects we've done in that particular category in a few minutes. But those are just the main product categories. And then if you talk about the main types of customer spaces that we're in, right down the middle, we have customers that are buying this from us direct, where we're, you know, a company comes to us, hey, we've got a big building, it's in New York City. We're really trying to differentiate this right now in light of what's going on. 
How can you help us make this a one-of-one iconic building? We'll take the existing structure. If it, uh, it could be an existing project that's built, or it could be something they're going to build. We'll take the existing visual look that they've got, and we will put our designers on it and make it a one-off look, give them a truly one-off design. Now, on the other side, we've got a, a whole division we just referred to in general as partnerships. These are large enterprise-level customers. They're saying, hey, I really like what you guys can do for the built world. I want to use you on 500 projects. I want to use you for, you know, X, Y, and Z all the time. And I want you to be a strategic partner with me on a lot of work over here that I've got in my pipeline. So we're, we're on the enterprise side. And then on the far end, uh, we just refer to it as .gov. Uh, we're very active in the, um, the government space. I'd have to be very vague about that. We may or may not sure. be doing anything that's classified. I can, <laughs> I cannot confirm nor deny. But if you can just imagine what could be possible with 3D printing, let's just say um, it's out of this world. <laughs> gotcha. One of those projects, maybe you want to just pick one to start off with. Is there a really cool one that showcases the extent of where you can go with something like this? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, thanks for asking. So just to be brief on this, uh, on BranchClad, there's a project that we're involved in right now. There's a lot of press out on it. It's the Monroe Parking Garage. It's in Huntsville, Alabama. And if you look that up online, anybody, you'll see uh, the schematics of that that's out, that's approved, that's in production. Uh, we're working with a fantastic architect and uh, a, a fantastic builder. I don't want to PR the heck out of them. And they, they would owe me. But a <laughs> great group of people we're working with on that. Uh, it's all over the place. And it's about 10,000 square feet of 3D printed uh, and GFRC panels that go on the outside of the building. And that is one where the city of Huntsville basically said, hey, what can you do for us to help us make this garage stand out? We're revitalizing the downtown area. There's this new parking garage going in. There's a new hotel. We're redoing all these public spaces. Help us make this look like one of one. And so came up with some initial design concepts, presented those, I think, four to them. They picked one that they liked the most. We iterated that to a final approved design, and uh, we, uh, we went forward with that. So it's branch cloud. Two that I'll mention briefly on C-Form. Uh, one, uh, again, easily available out there on the press. It's called One City in Nashville. It is the largest freeform 3D printed structure in the world. It's been out there a couple of years. It's 42 feet across. It's 21 feet high. And it's only open 3D printed matrix. And there's no, uh, there is no other support. You get full finite element analysis on that. That project is amazing. And another one that's just uh, worth looking at is called Design Miami. We did it for Art Basel Miami a couple of years ago. And we printed uh, three giant uh, freeform 3D pods uh, that you can walk under. And those went through four hurricanes down there. One of those got moved. It's in Nairobi now uh, on, hmm. on permanent display. So, uh, yeah, those, those are just notable things. Oh, we could ramble on, but uh, those, are, those are at least worth looking up online. Yeah, it seems like a very collaborative and artistic way to do some of this stuff to you. And I've seen pictures of that Nashville one, and it's pretty sick. It's really yeah. cool. I would love to have that in my backyard, but I think they might notice if I pull the, <laughs> the groove from uh, Despicable Me. I'm going to steal one city. It's not a good idea. Well, let's talk about branch technology and, and how it's approaching the market. You know, 3D printing is a pretty popular technology a lot of businesses are picking up right now. How yeah. You mentioned that you guys were the first in the world to do some of these things. Are you trying to enter the market as someone that's on the forefront of the technology 
for building applications? What's the approach to that? Is it tied to like the company mission or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. So I guess a few things I would think about in that particular category is one is we are innovation in an innovation hungry market. The built mm-hmm. environment, the construction industry, as, as you know, the way it is, it's been pretty much the same for 2000 years. Block and tackle, brick and mortar, you know, post and beam. And then we're trying to apply technology to existing products. Like people will come to us, oh, can you 3D print bricks? When people are doing that, by the way, can you 3D print a beam? You know, things, things like that. You're, people are trying to make, apply technology to a standard construction product. But we've shown up and said, look, we're going to come up with a whole new way to make things. And then we're going to be able to make things in a completely different way. So it's kind of like just completely uh, jumped over. I mean, you think about when when Tesla came out with the electric car, it was like, wait, what? Or when Steve Jobs first announced the first iPhone, and it's com- it completely defined a sector that didn't exist before. So we really jumped across there. When you think about 3D printing today, it's uh, FDM, fused at deposition modeling. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of companies out there that produce the equipment to do that. But it's very slow and it's very heavy. So if you print a large object, it's big, it's chunky, it's heavy. We use about one twentieth of the material of traditional 3D printing. And if you were to take a brick of that, say like um, a CMU-sized brick of that, it weighs about two pounds. Again, thinking traditional building materials, weighs about two pounds, and it can support two to three thousand pounds of compression. Once I take and I infill that with a fire-rated foam, it weighs about three pounds. And it can take six to 10,000 pounds of compression for a three pound brick of that. So we're doing something that's never done, been done before. And we're able to help people accomplish things that were never possible before. Is there anything about 3D printing that you think people just have wrong in their heads that they, that you're trying to overcome in order to be able to prove the different possibilities that there are with the, this type of product? I mean, that's something that you have to incorporate into all of your sales and marketing and messaging, <laughs> right? I mean, that is the thing. Like, how do we overcome this so they understand what our approach to changing the way we build is? Yeah. You know, one of the things that makes me think of when you're asking that question is you've seen these like these, these feel-good videos on, on, on online or on YouTube. Hey, this guy's give, finally given the ability to see or see in color. And they put those glasses on to let them see in color. Yeah. And he's like, oh my gosh, they're like flipping out. Well, that's kind of like when we show up and we show an architect or a developer what is possible. It's like, oh my gosh, can you hold on a second? And they like go and get like five more people and they bring them into the room. So one of the misconceptions is, is that, hey, well, 3D printing. Well, yeah, you can make something on a 12 by 12 desktop printer. We've got one in the back office. We prototype little pieces to look at it, little models. And then we come in and say, yeah, we've got these giant 14-foot articulating arms that run on 33-foot rails. We've got like a whole slew of these in a factory. We can make huge things. It's absolutely mind-blowing because I've never thought in that particular space. The second thing is, is that concept, people don't think it's available yet. We were at mm. um, Con Expo in March just before COVID shut down. We were in the technology tech, tech pavilion. And people are walking through seeing like a lot of future tech and they walk around, they see our, our stuff like, Oh, when's this going to be out? I said, no, you can, this is commercially available today. Wait, what you? Yeah, no, no, no. This is, this is being produced and sold today. No way. I'm like, yeah, what? So there's that, there's that disconnect of this isn't available yet, but it is. And then the last thing I would say is 
thinking at getting people to think outside the geometric box, a lot of people, again, post and tackle being, you know, very squares and rectangles and so forth. And to say, no, 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 you can draw those parametric freeform designs and build them. Before, it's like you can draw them and then you put it away because you can show it to your client. They say, no, that's way outside of the realm of cost and I need to get an ROI. So now it's saying, no, you can do that. You can go crazy. You can make an iconic structure and you can do it today. How are you primarily communicating this stuff? You mentioned that you were at Con Expo, so there's obviously some element of trade shows and industry events. Are you also doing... Uh, and you also mentioned that it's a really big deal to be on site and be able to show people the possibilities or to bring them into your space too, to show them where, yeah. where, what are other ways that you're communicating this type of, to overcome this type of misconception? Sure. So I'll, I'll talk pre COVID and I'll talk about during because everyone's kind of had yeah. to adapt. So pre COVID, uh, we were doing uh, a lot of, uh, national and international trade events. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, kind of being in the place that you're the first company in the world to do this, we get a lot of invitations. So people say, Hey, we have an event in Paris or in Brussels or in whatever single fill in the blank, you know, somewhere we would love you guys to come and speak on this particular topic. We'd love you guys to come and show us what you're doing, which is a great problem to have. That's not normal. I'm sure not a lot of your listeners are going to be in that particular box, but just being out there and being on the street uh, was a big thing. Lots of uh, architect and developer tours. Uh, we were in, um, New York City in January, we had 15 architectural firms in five days that we met with. And every, everyone was a blast to get with because they could like, wow, you can actually do this really cool stuff. Uh, so in, in just do, doing things like this, we get a lot of invites. Hey, can you come and speak on our XYZ? We always do these. You know, we, we try never to turn down an invitation. We don't want to take that for granted, but mm-hmm. you know, webinars, presentations, articles, uh, we read a lot out there. Uh, so yeah, we're getting, getting a lot of, uh, getting a lot of, uh, visibility consistently. And then during COVID, uh, a lot of it's gone to remote. So, you know, I'm in 15 to 20 Zoom meetings a week, you know, as a CCO, uh, talking to again, customers, enterprise customers, .gov customers, and just talking through, you know, where we can take them, getting that plan planned out so we can actually deliver those results for them. Yeah. There's a massive consultation part to this too you mentioned the strategic partnerships like you have to be there to help them understand where you can go with this stuff too even if they've done it once like you know there's that reminder like don't don't forget to think outside the box because we don't have to play inside the box anymore and that kind of helps them get to the next step too yeah another thing on that too even though like we at branch had this really cool one-off thing that nobody has i want to really speak to the listener and, and I say this in my, my staff, if you're listening to this, you're going to, you're going to remember the statement. <laughs> Nobody cares about your stuff. Nobody cares. I mean, yeah, we got this really cool thing. I can rest on this thing. Say, hey, look at this. I got this thing that nobody else has. But the technicality, the technical part of this is nobody cares about this. They all care about what this does for me. Mm-hmm. And so in all of our messaging, we, we, we do talk about how this works. But we really, really focus on what this can do for the customer. So if, for example, if we're talking to a developer and it's, heck, it's COVID, we don't say, hey, this 3D printing and all this technology and how this is built and how this is put together, because they don't care. But we, we say, hey, I can help your building stand out like nobody else's business and be one of one within a thousand miles. He's very interested in how I can do that. So focusing in on what we can do for the customer using this technology is 100% of our messaging on that street. And I would say that to anybody listening on your podcast today, 
Focus on what you can do for the customer. Make sure it's something unique and it's something that they need, not just something that you have. Not yeah, a lot of melt right now. <laughs> a lot of marketing falls flat when you don't take the stance of the target audience and you're trying to push something onto them that they don't understand. But what you're really trying to do is match your solution to their problem. But you have to understand their problem and the angle they're coming at. And that's really part of the strategic part of marketing, which goes into how you can craft the messaging and the tone and what types of content you put in front of them. Yeah. And for anybody who really wants to dig into that, uh, read the anything in and around jobs to be done theory, pains, gains, and jobs to be done. Nobody cares about your stuff. But if you've got a problem you can solve, you've got a, a gain that somebody wants that you can happen to solve that, uh, create that gain or solve that problem, you become a strategic business partner, not a product supplier. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, that's part of the reason why I have this podcast too, is to put these situations in front of listeners so that I'm just not preaching about brand strategy and good creative and how to target things. But, you know, what are these companies doing that I'm talking to to meet the needs of their audiences and start to take inspiration from that and figure out how they can apply it to themselves too? So. Yeah. And, th and this stuff, what I'm saying works. The fact that we are one of one in the world of this, you know, I was doing this, what we're talking about right now, you know, 10, 15 years ago when we were in an open competitive environment selling against other people on equal playing field, but everybody was focused on product. Let me tell you, my glass is thicker, my aluminum is stronger. Mm -hmm. I can go taller feature, feature product, feature product. And like, like, what are you trying to get done? Let me help you get there. You know, we're, we're a business partner and you're going to give me 10 jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about a little bit more about those people that you're working with. Who, who is the target audience for branch technology? Are you going, primarily after strategic architecture and design relationships, or are you trying to draw in building owners so that they get the uh, inspiration to talk to their architect or their builder? Where are you going with that? And how are you reaching out to them? Yeah, speaking right down the middle to the, the built environment, because .gov and enterprise would be kind of outside the scope of your listener. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, main, the, main, the main commercial focus for us, the people that we want to influence first, are the building owners and the developers. So if it's a, a real estate holding company that's got a lot of, a lot of, uh, portfolio existing on the built pipeline, those are the people that we want to influence with what we can bring to the table for them. Uh, secondly is going to be the architect and third is the builder. I mean, in the bottom line, builders, I love you guys. You guys are amazing, but you're just, Hey, tell me what to make. If somebody, if I come to you as a builder and I try to switch out something because I got something better, it doesn't do anything for you but create risk and pain. Mm. If a developer, a building owner, a portfolio, a REIT has a lot of inventory out there and he needs to modernize and update it, and I happen to have a high-performance insulation, something that's going to do better for him, make him stand out more, give him a better ROI, increase his rents, fill in the blank, he's really, really interested in what I've got. Maybe he's got you know, 18,000 units, say rental, uh, residential rental, and I can bring something for him to be more profitable. He's interested. And I would rather get the 18,000 unit deal than the one guy. I'm in Atlanta, so I'll pick on Atlanta. The one guy in Atlanta that's thinking about renovating a, uh, a building and using some new product that I might sell. So are, are you those typically the decision makers then? Or do you need to inspire those people to work with someone else to bring in your type of product? Um, well, so let's just say we're talking, so drilling in further, let's just say this is a large REIT that's got a bunch of inventory. Mm -hmm. 
the, the big thing for us, if we want to get if we want to get in front of that big uh, property owner, which is called property owner, REITs probably not fair. It's just a lot of inventory, people with lots of inventory. We want to be able to create influence within the uh, the mid management and above. Like so, for one of the things that we do, and this is again probably right for your audience. If you want to come in on the front door and bang on the front door, please don't waste your time. I said 30 years ago that the front door is only for vacuum cleaner salespeople and encyclopedia salespeople. Tim, I'm looking at you. You're younger. What's that, right? I, um, I, I was an encyclopedia <laughs> baby. Come I'm on, not man. Yeah. I know the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah. I can't use it anymore because it doesn't exist really. But I, I use all 24 letters of the alphabet most of the time, okay? <laughs> There was extra ones. I have no idea where those belong. I learned cursive when I was a kid. I don't even know what so. that is. We, 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 we were in Roman numerals. I'm so old, Tim. <laughs> but um, you know, going in the front door is an absolute waste of time. So for your listeners, please don't do that. I, I would say encyclopedia and vacuum cleaner salespeople. The side door of a house is reserved for friends and relatives. So you've got to get in the side door. You've got to figure a way. In today's technology environment that we work in, LinkedIn is a fantastic place to build relational equity within an organization. You know, sure, you can find the CEO on LinkedIn. Do not connect with the CEO. Oh, but why? He's the decision maker. Well, he don't care. He's not going to connect with you. But if you get middle management people and you start building a network with the middle management people, just getting to, just connecting with them, getting to know them, don't pitch them. A don't lot of people, them. fatal mistake. Hey, my name is Bob and I sell insulation. I would love to set up a point. <laughs> Delete. Mm-hmm. Hey, my name is Bob. My name is Bob. Hi, Bob. Spelled with a B. Hey, my name is Bob. Would love to connect with you. Uh, see a lot of great things that you guys are doing. Do not pitch them anything. Go to middle group, build up a network of people within that organization. The next time you circle around to them, and if you're using a good CRM, uh, highly recommend Salesforce. Great plugin. There's lots of ways to do that with, uh, with, with LinkedIn. The next thing you want to do is send them something of value. And it's not something of value that you're selling. It's something of value that can help them. If they and get just get their feet, hey, we'd love to see what you think about this. I, I think you guys could use this. Um, I do a tremendous amount of goodwill. When I say goodwill, people call me all the time. Hey, I'm looking for a guy. I'm looking for a person, a guy or a girl. I need a supplier for XYZ. I'm always happy to help somebody because if I'm giving goodwill to them and I'm giving them something, later on, if I need something, it's really easy for me to ask. Also, if I see that you need something, like you were saying, hey, I need to talk to you about this. Sure, I'm happy to do it. So I'm giving you something of value. Later on, if you if you need something, you see somebody that can help me, you're going to say, hey, let me connect those people up. So connect with people, offer them something of value, not from your company, just a good article. I, I train people on this all the time. Send people great articles that are relevant for them. Hey, in COVID, this is what's going on. I saw this thing about what people are doing to address that today. Just thought you'd like it. Nothing. Right. And, and then if you circle back around later, you've got a right to ask them some questions or to get to understand something better because you've connected, you've left some time, you've given them something of value, and then you you circle back around. By that time, you may have 20 or 30 connections with that organization. If somebody looks at you now, you say, oh, there's 500 people in my company. He's connected to 23 people. He's an insider. You're no longer coming through the front door. Yeah. And that side door, we call a lot of these tactics like the mid-funnel tactics, right? Yeah. You know, that, that article sharing, whether it's an article that the company that you represent has has written, or if it's something you found that's industry related that they would understand, you're you're building up a library of things that you can use as touch points that can gain interest metrics. Yeah, and, you can run you that know, all through a CRM. 
Yeah, and and you can run that on a website through Tag Manager and and funnel tracking through Data Studio. So you got all these things where marketing and sales in the middle of the funnel uh, intersect a little bit, uh, and they can both get tracked down into where you're getting into your conversions and and things like that. But it's important to have those pieces. You can't share articles from your company that might relate to someone if you don't develop that content. So that's right. You always have to be thinking, of, and and you should develop the content based off of the pain points of the audience and not make it just about bragging about yourself, which is what we talked about a couple of minutes ago. Oh, all day long. I mean, I remember 20 plus years ago when there wasn't that much content out there because you just had to, you know, there just wasn't the content level that there is today. We, we would go and just have white papers done up. Hey, I need you, Mr. Company, to write an article about X, Y, and Z. It's just an article talking about the problem in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't need you to sponsor me. I don't need my name in it. I just need to get content out there. Then you can use it. Uh, but yeah, get, get, get good relevant content, get it in front of people, uh, get the conversation. We often talk about being the thought leader. If you can get the conversation going about, a, about something, then that's what people are talking about. There is a, one of, uh, one of my very good friends said a long time ago, once somebody hears something, they can't unhear it. If it's a value, they'll remember. If it's a waste of time, who cares? Is that how you view Branch's approach to the market as trying to be the thought leader? If you're going to bring in this new technology that's flexible that people have to learn about, that you should also be the one that's speaking about those things regularly so that they find... When they go to vet you, they find all the surrounding content to, to make it make sense. Yeah, actually, that, that's a great point. John McCabe, uh, he's my director of marketing and communications. He talks about that all the time. We need to be the thought leaders. We need to define this because if we don't, somebody else will. You think about large format 3D printing. That's like, hey, we're going to talk about the color nine. What? You well, know, people you, might also think like large format printing. It's oh, they just have a bigger printer than we do at our exactly. office. Yeah, they're exactly. going to print a bigger brick or a bigger a bigger beam than we can. <laughs> yeah, but then you're like, yeah, how about something 50 foot by? Yeah, and they're like, wait, what? Yeah. yeah, so you you've got to make sure that you're defining that conversation because if you don't, the market will. I mean, there, there's words that you say right now, Kleenex. You think you say the word, oh, I need some Kleenex. Well, who did Kleenex is brand. It's mm-hmm. but you don't say tissue. Oh, give me a tissue. I need a Kleenex. Kleenex did a really good job of defining the conversation for everybody to start talking about. You can look something up online. What do you say? Google it. Uh, you Google it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't say, oh, I'm going to do a word search on a, no, you, you just Google it. So if you, if you define the conversation, you create the thought leadership, people are going to be talking about you. So if you're doing any kind of building products, I don't care what it is, building insulation, skylights, windows and doors, uh, floor heating systems, define the conversation to your target market. And then that's what people are talking about. Yeah. And knowing the market allows you to do that too. Oh yeah. Is there any, specific marketing channel that stood out as successful for you guys? Is it that content through digital uh, ecosystem or is it more the um, trade show network side of this? Where Which channel is performing the best for a new technology? Well, it, it, it's kind of funny. I mentioned LinkedIn. Uh, I, I, find, I find that LinkedIn is a fantastic place to be and be dominant in. I tell people that LinkedIn is the Facebook for business. Mm-hmm. You can, I mean, you, there's a lot of resources out there and there's great things like Instagram and stuff like that. But if you look at the sheer size of the LinkedIn in ecosystem, and if you say, okay, I'm a product supplier or a solution provider in a given vertical domain of this thing that I offer, 
all of my customers are on there. Every single one of those employees are on there, that 99.9% of their employees are on there. And I have free reign and access to get, to get, to get relational equity with those companies and with those uh, employees that I don't need. And this thing that, oh, let's buy this email list that's four years old and half the people aren't there anymore. And then I'm going to dry email market them. Forget right. it. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. And if Tim sells you an email list later on, uh, just remember what I say because he's going to edit this part out anyway. <laughs> never. Uh, <laughs> I would never say, oh, we hate when people come delete, to us with delete, lists. Delete. <laughs> we hate it. We, we scrub lists all the time and oh. it's exactly that there's 60% of the people it can't validate. And, you know, who knows whose email is still active, but they don't uh, work with the company anymore. Yeah. It's just, it's not right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think LinkedIn is just a great place to be. Again, depending on what you're selling, if you're B2C, this is much different. Uh, that's a different marketplace. It's a different methodology. I'm not here to speak to that. But B2B, build your brand, be at, build your brand and build your identity in LinkedIn. Uh, I started it years ago. So I'm probably at the far end of the far end of like Ninja Sensei on that, but I'm speaking from experience and it actually works. I had a guy that worked for me at my previous company. He came to work for me. Great guy, coachable. Uh, he had 221 uh, connections on LinkedIn. And I'm like, ooh, we got some work to do here. Let's work on this together. Uh, he reached out to me the beginning of this year. Hey, I just surpassed 3,500 people on LinkedIn. And the guy posts content. He's always commenting on things. He's pulling things forward. He's grabbing articles that are relevant. He's tagging people. He's very active on that. And so in his space, in his domain, he's a thought leader. He's an influencer. He's a trusted advisor. People know that he knows what he's talking about. He's probably the most influential guy on LinkedIn right now in that space. I don't want to take credit for it. He took what I showed him and he ran with it, but he just completely slays it in that particular vertical right now. And again, whatever you're doing, you want to be the number one or number two most influential person out there. And LinkedIn is just a fantastic way to do it. And you don't have to be spending thousands of dollars in advertising. No offense, by the way, to any of those people that sell any advertising services. Hmm. Uh, but uh, fantastic place to be. Integrated marketing is a lot of different things, including some paid stuff. But you have to do Absolutely. some of this, this thought leadership, content generation, and networking stuff too. You can't just pick one and then hope that it performs better than... Than the other ones. Yeah. And uh, like, I, like, I'm a guy who's been doing this forever. I can do a lot of this stuff blindfold and I can sit down with four people and tell them exactly what to do. Most of your listeners are listening to me like I have a third eye and they can't even see me right now. So this stuff works. You know, get a team around you, get somebody to do it for you, but do it. You know, whether you're doing it yourselves or whether somebody's doing it for you, you know, get these kinds of things going because whatever you spend, it doesn't matter. People say, oh, marketing, I want to spend money on marketing. Whatever you spend, if you're focused on the things that make a difference, you're not going to care in the end. Yeah, I've seen people, oh, they spent like $14 million in marketing. But you know what? They did $385 million in business. So therefore, mm -hmm. that was just line item, you know, but they, did, they didn't start there. They grew their business because they're focused on getting their brand awareness out there. So how are you primarily capturing your leads is it web-based trade show based uh is it direct outreach i know you could because you're doing a bunch of different activities too. Where, <laughs> where where are you seeing the best performance in and what what type of way are you capturing people do you need the consultation do you just need a meeting uh yeah. is it form like where how are you pulling people into your world 
So again, we, we pre COVID, we were doing a lot of events. Again, got, we, we were getting invited to events or we were going that we were paying to be at events, but a lot of in person because then you can show, touch and see something. Mm-hmm. Because that, because that's changed. Uh, we're doing, we're doing again, a lot of things on LinkedIn, lots of things just like this podcast, workshops, seminars, conferences that, that they're looking for guest speakers on. So we're getting our discussion out there. We're a big proponent of creating inbound demand. You've probably heard that term before, uh, versus out just straight outbound. So we're minimal on outbound, but we're really great on creating inbound demand. So when people see it, what we're about, they're oh. So then we get a lot of incoming. You know, the people are you know reaching out to us on LinkedIn, doing website inquiries. Hey, my name is so and so. You know, we just got out of a meeting this morning with a company in Europe doing a major project that they saw what we were doing. Excuse me, but they saw what we were doing. Say, I see what you're doing. This could really, really work on a project that we've got going on right now. We need something before the end of the year. Can we meet right now? So, you know, we get a ton of that during the week. So we go through those, we vet out those, we pre-qualify those to make sure that somebody's relevant for us. We, anybody who think is not, we discard, say, thanks, love you. It's not our, our market. We don't chase something that's not, not the right kind. The ones that are, we always schedule an initial discovery call. And because we're in this ecosystem right now, listen to me, people. Do it as a Zoom video conference because you're trying to sell something. So you want to be in front of the person to visually have a conversation with them, just like you would normally go visit them in their office. Do not do a call. Do not do a phone call. If you're going to do it, great. Knock yourself out, but you're wasting your time. You've only got one first chance to get in the door. And if that person's going to potentially spend money with you, pull out all the stops, set up a Zoom call, get in front of them, set up your lighting, get your audio working right. Uh, if you go talk to Tim, he'll tell you exactly what to do. He's got a killer studio there. It's better than mine. Uh, get in front of them, have a discovery call, find out what they're about, find out if it's something that you can help with them, and then navigate that forward from there. But if you don't do that, you're starting out with a, with a, with a phone call or just a bunch of emails back and forth. It's really, really difficult to then upgrade the relationship later on. I say this to our staff all the time. If you keep it distant, keep it distant, keep it distant. And then you want to ask for a sale. The gap from very stoic and distant here to, I want you to buy from me is a big jump. But if you start out and you set the temperature in the room, great article, by the way, I'm going to self promote. Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? It's on LinkedIn. I did it four or five years ago. It talks about you setting the temperature in the room. And if you set the temperature in the room that we're going to start out engaging like this, the relationship's going to go closer and closer and closer. Then from almost a deal to a deal is just one little last step versus distant, distant, distant. And then, hey, will you buy from me? So anyway, I'm going to get off my I'm hoping, on that. I'm hoping the silver lining from this pandemic experience is that people are more open to that too. We should all be set up for that now. So when it's not going to be so jarring when someone says, hey, let me send you a video conference instead of let's set up a phone call. Oh, and yeah. that opens up a world of difference. I mean, body language is 80% of communication. On top of that, you can do screen shares and videos. I mean, it's just a different way Pretty to time. communicate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be so much better. And, and in the B2B world, I mean, you see this too, doing international work too. Mm. You know, this opens up being able to have more personal conversations with people that are further away from you too. We aren't doing a ton of B2B business in our little geographic areas. Yeah. We're working with people across the country, across the world. 
and you have to be able to communicate better and video helps with that. Absolutely. And, and if, if you're listening to this, this podcast right now, uh, please, please, please get really, really good at doing Zoom and Teams meeting by uh, a couple things. And I actually did a workshop on this uh, in my last company and at my current company. Uh, get a good microphone. Uh, funny thing is Tim and I are using the same microphone. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Send Tim a message. He'll tell you what he's using. Get a good microphone. Get an external camera. Don't rely upon the camera from your computer because it's pointing up at you, it's showing the ceiling, it's rookie, get a camera that's straight shot at you, get some good backlighting to where you're getting good lighting on your face. So if it looks and sounds right, people, oh, well, everything else makes sense. If you got shadows and your sound sucks and your audio quality sucks, people are going to then assume that everything from you is at that same level. So do it super pro, figure it all out. There's all kinds of stuff, content out there to help you. Again, there's guys like Tim that already knows what they're doing. Sorry, I'm too busy. I can't help you. <laughs> but uh, there's ways to make you look great and sound great and feel great from that very, very first call. Well, and we're talking about generating content too. So that same yeah. type of equipment can be used for generating content for LinkedIn where you're doing small videos about All topics related to your, your company and industry. So All there's uh, we actually... Uh, before this started, before people were forced into having this type of equipment, we used to actually send cameras and, and microphones to our clients when they started working with us. Like, oh hey, my gosh! You know, look, it's part of your welcome pack. Here's some cool swag. Here's a camera. Here's an audio thing. Get it set up. We'll see you on the first video call. I love and, you, Tim. I love you, Tim. Give me a big, big group hug, <laughs> dude. We we used to at my old company. True story, and I've done it at this company too. We're starting out with a new customer opportunity. And, oh, yeah, I don't have a camera. I'm going to computer. They actually have a workstation. I would be on Amazon as mm -hmm. we're talking, uh, which making sure I have their address. And I'm sending them a camera. Best 50 bucks I ever spent. Yeah. And I did that multiple times. I say, hey, you've got a package. I'm just telling them, hey, you've got a package arriving tomorrow uh, via Amazon. Good. I would do like the same day or next day or whatever. It's super fast. Pay the extra 10 bucks. Because on a major enterprise level deal, I want them to plug that sucker in right now and be talking to me. Yep. And again, are, am I going to wait for them to get a camera or am I just going to decide for them? And if I send them a camera, they plug it in. What happens is now they can engage me. But the second thing is they're following my leadership in the, the whole na navigating the sales process. You know, what is it? The challenger sale, teach, tailor and take control. If you start with control of the situation and you manage that forward, they're going to follow you to the close. Right, we're getting in sales tactics. That's a whole yeah. new workshop. <laughs> nice, a nice little tangent, but also it was based on technology too. And, and I tied it to generating content, which matches so, our conversation as well. All the uh, in, in terms of generally uh, regarding the building materials industry, I know where you're probably going to go with this being the company that you represent. But where do you see the building materials and building products industries shifting over the next five to 10 years? How are they going to have to adapt with the market? Man, that's a big question. It we're, is. We're, <laughs> one of the things is, is that the way in which we, one of the things that COVID is teaching everybody right now, the way in which you've done things no longer works. You have to be radically different and adapt to this new normal, this new market, whatever you want to call it. That's a good thing because people were, were riding on the good ship lollipop for a long, long time. You think about it, we have, a, we have the greatest economic expansion in the history of the world in what the past 10 years ballpark or something mm -hmm. like that. 
And so we're printing money. We went through the 2008 mortgage crisis, and then it's been kind of up since then. So people are thinking radically different. They're having to adapt. It's going to cause the construction environment and the building products industry to hopefully press in on being radically different and innovating. So you're going to see people like with this 3D printing. Um, as I told you, I had a meeting offline. I had a meeting with a ma uh, major uh, company in the building products industry yesterday at the end of the day. CEO, hey, I'm interested in understanding more about 3D printing. What can you tell me? Now, I don't have something to sell him, but he's a, he's a friend and I'm here to help him. So he's trying to understand how can I use 3D printing in my space? So you're going to see a lot more 3D printing, commercialized 3D printing for construction products because costs are going to go down. Uh, speed's going to continue to go up. It's going to be make more sense to 3D print it than using traditional methodologies. Yeah, speed to market is a theme that keeps coming up very often on these yeah. episodes. When you look at solar panels, solar panels went down like 90% costs mm. in 10 year period. People were buying it back then, you know, and now it's like, you know, it's cheaper than water. Yeah. You, there's companies just setting up their own solar farms next to their factories because it's just so easy to acquire a, a, a grid and, and yeah. have it connected into the, the units. All day long. Um, and then you did touch on some of this stuff during our conversation so far, but is there one thing you can let everyone consider what they should be doing for their brand right now too? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in, in light of COVID, um, now COVID picks the winners because I've got friends that are completely out of business. And then I got other people that can't keep up with production. Okay. So, so setting that all aside, I'm trying to mm -hmm. speak through all the noise of that. You know, if you're out of business because, because you can't legally open unless you're, competing with the government, which is a bad idea, by the way, you always lose. Um, or if you're, you can't keep up with production, you know, that's all, that's all that's setting up all that aside. The number one thing that I feel that people can be doing for their brand is getting their head around. What does that customer really, really need? And I talk again about pains and gains from the jobs to be done theory. What's the biggest problem or problems that they have? What are the greatest things that they would like to accomplish? And then center all your narrative around that. We would go in, my previous company, uh, which you guys can look up. We would go and we sit down with major, you know, companies doing a billion dollars a year in business. And we would say to them, quote, generalize this though. Mr. Customer, Mr. Prospect, we see that the three biggest problems in this industry are X, Y, and Z. Would you say that those are your three biggest problems or would you add to or change the list? 99% of the people, Tim, would say, yeah, that's exactly me. But Perfect. you have to know it. You got to know it. You, can't, you have if to you, do the homework up front. Yes. If you walk in the door, painful. If you walk in the door and you say, hey, so tell, tell, Tim, help me to understand what problems you're having. You've, you've already lost the game. You've got to tell them, tell them this is what we see as the problem or this is what we see as the opportunity. Does this sound like you? If you understand what it is, you already know the answer. Now, strategically, only talk about problems that you can solve. Because if you talk about, the, hey, the problems are that, you know, that uh, everyone's jumping out of planes without parachutes. Unless you're a parachute maker, don't talk about that problem. Mm -hmm. If you happen to be a parachute maker, I've got the greatest news for you, Tim. The problem you've been having with all of your paratroopers, I'm here to solve. Great. Best day of your entire life. So, yeah, define the problems. Make sure you understand it. Define it with the customer opportunity and make sure you can solve it. Because then the roads lead to your products and solutions. I mean, what everyone forgets is that in marketing personas get a bad rap because uh, there's this 
notion that personas are just like, oh, it's a 45 to 65 year old male who makes you know $150,000 a year in yeah. an urban format. But the real value of doing a persona the right way is digging into the pain points. Yep. But and to your point, the second half of that is the claims analysis. If you can't claim the thing that you can actually do and match that with the pain points, then you can't develop the positioned messaging. And that's what feeds into your sales processes and your marketing collateral. All, so all day long. that's, you know, that's those are starting points for, for any real sales and marketing initiative because it's going to go into your website, your print collateral. It's Absolutely. going to go into all your messaging and your sales team is going to pick that up and they're going to run with it when they have these conversations like you're talking about with the prospects. So yeah, now a thank lot of you people, for touching that. <laughs> a lot of people listening right now might even be like, what's personas? Now, let me ask you a question. I'm flipping the script on you, by the way. This is not, this is not, you can probably delete this out. Do you guys help your customers work on persona planning? Yes, 100%. Usually before almost anything we do, including what people would think is a basic project, like a web website, oh, when good. it's actually the most important project because a lot of oh, almost all of your activities yeah. funnel from print media and digital to the website which is your conversion tool okay so anybody who's listening to this go get tim get a minimum consulting gig of what it's like it's like i think you guys start at eight million a year minimum on up right tim yeah yeah something like that <laughs> That's just exactly. what, what, the, what the 8 million is. It could be 8 million peanuts. I'm not sure. Okay. So if you do that, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Because if once you've got the personas figured out, then all your branding, all your marketing can be around what problems they're having or what, what do they want to gain. And then, then it's all it's just a matter of, you know, lining up the deals and uh, taking their money and helping them grow. And sales. It, it Very useful for sales. And everyone forgets that when we bring this up, that we're not just doing this so that we can do a better creative or marketing process for you. But you can also take this information and really dial in, in with your sales team and, and craft that perfect message. So that's a really good one. I'm glad you brought it up. Perfect. Is there anything you know regarding branch technology or any of these topics that I didn't poke you at that you're dying to get out or did we cover everything? <laughs> How long is a piece of string, Tim? <laughs> Yeah, well, let's start with just, you know, thanks for the invitation. Uh, it's, it's a blessing to be here and I love the way in which you're thinking about this. And again, I, I, I think that you're really trying to help your customer base run a better business. Uh, and anything that your customers can take out of this that they can help them grow their business, you know, great. You know, and like at the branch, it's a fantastic opportunity for us to disrupt the industry and to do something that's never been done before. You know, to, to help enterprise, you know, companies and individual companies do something that they didn't think they could do for 10 more years. And so it's a blast for us. And we're, we're thrilled to be a part of the process. Cool. And now's your time to plug your LinkedIn and, and how people can find Branch Technology online. Oh, sure. Thanks, Tim. Uh, easy to get there. BranchTechnology.com. That's, uh, that's super easy. And you can also find us on LinkedIn and you can find me on LinkedIn. I've got, you can, you're welcome to connect with me. You can be one of my, 10 or 15,000 closest friends and uh, follow the things that I do. Mitch Lewandowski, Lewandowski phonetically, Chief Commercial Officer at Branch Technology. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. This was a great conversation. I'm looking forward to the episode coming out. If you're interested in hearing more stories and strategic insights from industry experts, please subscribe to the Building Brands podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. If you've enjoyed this episode, please post a review and share with others who may be interested as well. Thanks for listening.